The passage today comes from Jonah chapter 3, um, verses 10 to 4, 11. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and compassionate and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend to it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And then from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the other ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Well, hello, everyone. It's great to see you again. It's great to be with you once again. And it's great to be able to share God's word with you. So let's pray that God would give us understanding of his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, your word is a challenge to the comfortable and a comfort to the challenged. Lord, we pray that your work would do its work in our hearts tonight. Amen. These two weeks of Global Gospel Focus are a wonderful opportunity for us to raise our gospel vision, to be reminded again of God's concern for the lost of our world, 
God's compassion for them, God's desire that they turn away from their wickedness and come to him and find the forgiveness that he freely offers in Jesus. And so I settled on this famous and fascinating book of Jonah, a book that does remind us that God's agenda is to take his message to the very ends of the earth. Uh, And Jonah is a a simple but captivating story, one I'm sure that many of us know well. Uh, Jonah chapter 1, God calls Jonah to be his great missionary prophet and to go to Nineveh. And Jonah immediately runs away and says no. And then Jonah chapter 2, God's fishy rescue. Uh, Jonah is saved from the storm of God's wrath by a giant fish. He's swallowed for three days and three nights in the belly of a giant fish. A moment that I or, or you, anyone who's read the book of Jonah, and certainly every children's Bible that's ever been written, has never forgotten. And then in chapter 3, God's powerful word and Jonah's sermon land on the city of Nineveh and the city repents and they're saved. And many people would think, well, that's where the book ends, isn't it? That's where the story of Jonah finishes. But Jonah has a fourth chapter that we just read, an often overlooked and unexpected final chapter. And the problem with Jonah chapter 4 is Jonah. Jonah is a deeply unattractive and deeply unsympathetic character. He doesn't get what he wants and he says he wants to die. And then he does get what he wants and he kind of becomes all smug about it. And then he doesn't get what he wants and he says he wants to die again. Tantrum. Selfish. Tantrum. And it's kind of, you know, Jonah comes across more as a a melodramatic spoilt child than he does the great missionary prophet. And it's easy to kind of look down on Jonah and think, well, what has Jonah got to teach us? Uh, And I think that's, that's part of the point in some ways. One of the things that's very clear in Jonah 4 is that there is a huge difference between what God is concerned about and what Jonah is concerned about. And yet the more I read Jonah 4 and the more I thought about it and the more I thought about me, the more I realised that actually there's more Jonah in me than I'm comfortable with. And so I think he has something to teach us all. So I've got three things that I wanted to talk to you about today. They're there in the outline that you got as you came in. If you're the type of person who likes to take notes or even just the type of person who likes to know when I'm going to finish. Three things. First of all, God's concern for the lost in verses 1 to 4. God's concern for the found in verses 5 to 9. And then lastly, God's concern for the found's concern for the lost in the last couple of verses. So firstly then, God's concern for the lost. The most incredible thing happens at the end of Jonah chapter 3 in verse 10. A wicked city, a, a pagan city, a whole city, turn to God and call out for mercy. And God shows them mercy. From the greatest of them to the least, they repent. And they turn away from their wickedness. And because they change their direction, God changes his policy. Uh, God shows them great compassion And it's not that somehow God was caught off guard or or surprised by this. Uh, After all, uh, God's plan was always to bless Nineveh. That's why he sent Jonah to Nineveh in the first place. Uh, And whenever we read in the Bible that God relents or God repents or or God changes his mind, it's never as if somehow God has kind of um, abandoned plan A and, and retreated to plan B. 
It's always that actually he's abandoned plan B, the judgment that he threatened upon Nineveh, so that he could stick with his preferred plan, he could stick with plan A, his plan to love, his plan to bless. Our God desires no one to die, he desires that all people be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4. And this is one of my favourite things about the Bible. The heroes in the Bible, they're all such terrible people. If it was only ever kind of good people who found their way into God's friendship, we'd be worried, wouldn't we, if we had any sense of our own wickedness? You know, I can see all these sinners being right with you, God, but what about, what about you know, sorry, I can see all these saints being right with you, God, but what about all of us poor sinners? But the Bible is full of rotten people that God loves and that God forgives. And if there's hope for them, if there's hope for cities like Nineveh, then there's certainly hope for us. And for the people of Nineveh, God's mercy is excellent news. But for Jonah, very surprisingly, it's terrible news. Now, I would have thought that for any preacher preaching a sermon of eight words that sees 120,000 people saved, they'd be pretty happy with that, wouldn't they? I'd be pretty happy with that. I'd be satisfied with something like that. But Jonah finds God's mercy maddening. In Jonah's world, people like the Ninevites just don't deserve salvation. Why should they have the wonderful benefits of knowing God? And Jonah takes his complaint to God in verse 2. He says to God, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. All they did was say sorry. And you went all soft. Now, God, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, well done to Josie today for, for reading those verses. I actually think that reading Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, is one of the hardest Bible reading challenges you'll ever find. Because how do you read verse 2 angry? Because that's what Jonah is. Jonah's angry. He's, he's frothing at the mouth angry. He's angry enough to die. And you just have a look at those words again. They're beautiful words. They're wonderful words about our God. God doesn't give wicked people like us what we deserve. He is slow to anger. Yes, God does have a place for anger. Yes, God does have a place for judgment and for justice, for, for wrath, but his anger is slow. His anger is measured. Forty days he gave to Nineveh, a chance to repent. The slowness of God's anger is an opportunity for salvation. This is a wonderful verse. And this verse is the pride and joy of God's people. They first heard about the slowness of God's anger at Mount Sinai when God revealed his glory, God revealed his godness to Moses and he did it by speaking of what he was like, telling Moses of his character and what did God say? How does God think of himself? Who is God inside God? Exodus chapter 34 verse 2, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. 
And the rest of scriptures, they're full of wonderful moments where this slowness of God's anger, his steadfast love, is rightly praised. Places like Psalm 86, Psalm 103, Psalm 145, Joel 2, it's echoed in the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 3. This is a beautiful thing about God. Beautiful to everyone except Jonah. What causes delight to so many causes Jonah to be angry. And how different is the slowness of God's anger to the quickness of Jonah's anger? Now, I must say, at one level, Jonah is entirely correct. The Ninevites do not deserve to be treated the way that God is treating them. The Ninevites did deserve God's anger. The Ninevites did deserve God's wrath. What happened to Nineveh, it isn't fair. It isn't just. It's better. It's mercy. The least that anyone can ever expect from God is that he will give them what they deserve. But the best that anyone can deserve from God is that he would show them mercy, that he would save them. And of course, what's ridiculous about this whole thing and and Jonah's anger is that Jonah himself has experienced God's mercy. Has he forgotten about the fish? We certainly haven't. The fish was where God showed great mercy to Jonah and rescued Jonah. Jonah is happy when God is showing him steadfast love and mercy, but not when God is showing it to other people. And so God comes to Jonah in verse 4 and asks, Is it right for you to be angry? And here's where I wish I could sort of somehow transport myself into the story. And here's where I wish I could just kind of grab Jonah and say, Get down really low. This is the time to humble yourself before God. This is the time to throw yourself on that mercy of God again and admit you don't understand and admit you don't get what's going on, but but say your will be done and please just... But Jonah doesn't. Jonah walks away. He says nothing. And we're left in no doubt about our God's concern for the lost. But very sadly and very surprisingly, we're also left in no doubt that God's prophet does not share God's concern. Now, secondly, I think Jonah 4 also teaches us about God's concern for the found, for found people like Jonah. Some people have assumed that uh, Jonah's anger and, and frustration at God's mercy is a kind of act of extreme patriotism. Uh, Nineveh was a great city. In fact, Nineveh was about to become the capital of the Assyrian Empire. And very soon, the Assyrian Empire would become an enemy of God's people of the nation of Israel and would conquer and wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel. And so many people would say, no, no, what what Jonah is doing here is he's, he's upset with God at showing mercy to the future enemies of Israel. And I want to say, even if that's true, I think that love for your own country's interests seems like a very weak excuse to desire an entire city of people 
to be spiritually and eternally lost. But either way, I just don't think it's true. And I think the lesson of the plant, the lesson of the vine in verses 5 to 9, shows that there's something else that's really going on in Jonah's heart. So in verse 5, we find Jonah again, and Jonah is in the mother of all sulks. He's gone out and he's found himself a good spot from which to see the whole city of Nineveh. And he's refused to answer God's question about the rightness of his anger. And here we find him kind of waiting and hoping that God will do something to this city. And yet we've already been told, he's already been told that God isn't angry anymore. God isn't going to bring down judgment upon this city. There's only one person who's angry now and it's Jonah. And he's just kind of sitting there in the hot sun getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And God deals very kindly with Jonah in this situation and seeks to teach him a lesson that he needs to learn. And I actually think this is a very wonderful moment. In many ways, the book of Jonah could have ended right here. It could have ended with Jonah, kind of a withered husk of a man, both physically and spiritually, a sunburnt prophet, waiting for a judgment that would never fall. And we would have learned all that we need to know about God's concern for the lost. And yet God, in His mercy, is not finished with Jonah yet. And so kindly and so patiently, God seeks to teach him a lesson. But because Jonah is not listening to God's word, God uses a plant. And so in verse 6, God provides or God raises up a speedy plant, a vine, to give Jonah some shade. And that word provides is the same word that was used earlier in the book to describe the coming of the fish. God provided the fish to save Jonah. And suddenly now that Jonah has got a little shade, he's, he's happy. He's, he's exceedingly happy. It's, it's Christmas morning, he's a little boy and mum and dad have, have bought that bike that he's been wanting for, for so long. He's just overcome with happiness. The sheltering vine is the best thing that's ever happened to him. And then the next day in verse 7, God provides or God appoints a worm to kill the vine. And then God provides or God appoints the hot sun and the scorching wind all part of the lesson that God is teaching Jonah. And suddenly, Jonah wants to die again. And so God asks in verse 9, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And again, I almost kind of want to be part of the story at this moment. And this time, I want to kind of slap my hand over Jonah's mouth and say, last time, it was the wrong thing to say nothing. This time, don't say anything. Don't make it worse. But of course, Jonah has to say something. Jonah speaks. And Jonah says, yes, I'm angry. I'm angry enough to die. I like the shade. I don't like that it's gone. And I just think, oh, Jonah. He's just, he's just lost all credibility by now. Uh, This is not someone who cares about global politics or international relations. This isn't a patriot, this is a child. His entire emotional spectrum is governed by sun hat or sunburn. Jonah is so petty. Uh, His world is just so small. It's just about what's happening on this particular day. Wind's hot, I wish I could die. Shade, happiest I've ever been. 
Sun's out again. I wish I could die again. Now, what sort of lesson is God trying to teach Jonah and teach us? Well, perhaps it's, a, uh, perhaps it's an ownership lesson. God owns everything. Jonah thought that he owned the vine. Uh, listen, Jonah, you, your vine is gone. But do you really think that I wanted a whole city to be gone? Or perhaps it's a values lesson. Jonah, you're upset about the plant. You valued the plant. Should I, God, not value these people? The whole life of a city, including all of the animals. Or maybe it's a danger lesson. Jonah, some heat came upon you. But do you understand the very great and very real heat that was coming upon the city of Nineveh? Or perhaps it's a protection lesson. Jonah, you liked being protected. Why don't you like it when Nineveh is protected? Jonah, you like being safe. Why don't you like it when the Ninevites are safe? There's a truth to all of those lessons, I think. But I wonder whether the real lesson that God is teaching is a comfort lesson. A comfort lesson. Jonah likes being comfortable. And Jonah doesn't like it when his comforts are being taken away. And so back in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, I thank you, God, because you saved me by the fish. In 4, verse 6, I thank you, God, that you've sheltered me from the sun. At the very same time, in chapter 4, verse 1, I'm angry, God, that you've looked after these terrible people. And chapter 4, verse 9, I'm angry, God, that you've taken away my sheltering plant. I'm thankful, God, when you do things for me. I'm thankful, God, when you make my life comfortable. And thank you, God, when you rearrange everything in the universe so that I'm at the very center and I'm enjoying life. But I'm angry, God, when you do the same for other people. Jonah is saying, I like to be comfortable. And it's your job to make my life comfortable. That's why you're here. Jonah doesn't want to pay a price. He doesn't want to make a sacrifice for the sake of other people's comfort or other people's safety or other people's value. He wants them to pay the price so that he can be comfortable. Don't take my shade away. Do take my enemies away. And if you cooperate, I'll be happy and I will praise you. But if you don't, then I'll be unhappy and I will sulk. Make me comfortable, God. That's what I care about. That's my concern. That's what I pray about. That's what I worry about. And that's what can either make me so happy that I'm bursting with joy or so angry that I want to die. Jonah is selfish and petty and really only cares about himself and the things that affect him. Jonah's temporary comfort is worth more to him than an entire city full of people who are lost and facing the judgment of God. Jonah is the very opposite of God's loving concern for the lost. So what are we supposed to make of someone like Jonah? And the answer is, well, he's just like all of God's people, isn't he? He's saved, and yet he's sinful. He's faithful, and yet he's unfaithful. He's capable of great godliness, and yet he's also capable of great ungodliness. 
And that's the reality of all God's found people. We are saved and we are secure, but we aren't perfect and we aren't nearly as consistent as we would like to be. And it's the same for all of us. It's the same for our leaders. It's the same for our pastors. It's the same for me. It's the same for our missionaries. Pray for for our missionaries. They often find themselves in a strange place, facing all sorts of uncertainty, facing all sorts of things that can make them uncomfortable, with only about kind of three believers from whom they can choose to have fellowship. And the real danger for them and the real danger for all of God's people is that when the pressure, when the stress starts to come, when we start to feel uncomfortable, the blinkers go on and we become like Jonah and all we start to care about is us and how God is treating us today. Our world can become so small and so self-centred. Keep praying for God's inconsistent Because there's more Jonah in each and every one of us than we're comfortable with. Because yes, God is concerned for the lost, but God is also concerned for the found. And in particular, God is concerned for His found people's hearts. He's concerned for their concern for the lost. God is concerned that we share His heart of concern and be like Him. And so in verse 10, God asks his last question of Jonah. He says this, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah, you don't want me to be concerned about Nineveh. But shouldn't I? You loved the plant, even though it was here today and gone tomorrow. Your concerns are for the temporary comforts of today. Should I not be concerned for the eternal destiny of 120,000 people? Should I not love this city? And should you not join me in loving this city? What cost, Jonah, are you willing to pay or the comfort of another? Or do you just want comfort at the cost of another? And just as God fires this arrow of a question at Jonah, Jonah disappears from the story. And the story ends. It ends on a cliffhanger. We don't know how Jonah responds to this question of God's. And that's when we realise that God hasn't been aiming for Jonah's heart. God has been aiming for our hearts. It's in us that God wants to cultivate a deep concern for the lost of this world. The lost in our families, in our universities, in our workplaces, our friends, our neighbours our city, our state, our country, our world. All along, God has been asking us, should I not be concerned for the lost? Should I not overflow with compassion for them? 
Should I not weep for them? Should I not bleed for them? And should you not join me? When the Lord Jesus Christ came, he taught that for heaven, the best day is when a sinner repents. God rejoices when the lost are found. And Jesus meant what he said. Jesus shared the same concern for the lost that God shows that he had in this book of Jonah. And Jesus, unlike Jonah, Jesus was prepared to pay the price. Jesus was prepared to make the sacrifice for the sake of a comfort for another. Uh, Jesus was prepared to say, my life for yours, my comfort for your comfort. And Jesus did overflow with compassion to the lost. He wept for the lost, he bled for the lost, he even died for the lost. And in his death on the cross, he paid for the lost. He paid for the sin of the world. So that the lost might be found. So that the guilty might go free. And so that the wicked like Nineveh and like us, might be forgiven. Jesus paid the price of compassion. Though he was rich, he became poor, so that through him we might become deeply, specially, wonderfully, unbelievably and eternally rich. And so here is a a part of God's word that looks out across our world and sees a whole lot of lost people And God says, I want them to be saved. I'm going to make it possible for them to be saved. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to pay the price of a concern for the lost. But the heart of God also looks out across his church, across his found people, who are rightly rejoicing to be found. And yet a lot of what has been found has also in some ways been lost. And he slowly, slowly works within us to make us useful servants who share his concerns. And we do need to see that there is more Jonah in each and every one of us than we ought to be comfortable with. Just think about the steps that we take to arrange our comfort. Lifestyle is the drug of choice in this fair city of ours. People are either here to have it or they're here to earn it. And it's been interesting as I I go around and as as I meet people and as I I, I talk with them and they realise that I've only been in this city for a short time and it's it's one year this week actually that I've been in Perth. And they always kind of say the same thing to me. They always say, it's nice here, isn't it, in Perth? And I say, yes, yes it is. Jonah would have loved it here. And we're so able to be affluent in this city that we can toss Jesus Christ into the shopping cart along with everything else. And yet do we share God's concern for the lost? Do we share his different concern for the lost? That we're not concerned about temporary comfort, but we're concerned for eternal salvation. And so are we any different? from the people around us, any different from the Jonas 
who surround us in this world and in this city. How different are our lounge rooms? How different are the insides of our wardrobes? How different are our holidays? How different are our cars? How different are our dreams? How different are our diaries? The time and the money and the genius we employ to ensure our comforts. If only we employed the same vigour to seeking the lost. If only the best day for us was the day a sinner repents. If only we we rejoiced in those days, even more than the days we rejoice in some new temporary comfort. We do need to see the Jonah in all of us. And so really here tonight there are two groups of people. There are some here tonight who are still lost. And to you I say, take great comfort in this this chapter of, of Jonah 4. Because if you come to the Lord Jesus and if you repent, you will be forgiven. You will receive a new life. The lost will be found and God will rejoice. But there's another group of people here tonight and I take it it's probably the most of us, isn't it? And we're here and we've been here for a long time and we're found and we're safe and we are secure. And yet what we need to do is come to God and say, God, please help me. Please help me to be increasingly available and increasingly compassionate because I know the tendency of my heart is to be like Jonah. I know the tendency of my heart is to care more about temporary comfort than eternal salvation. And unless you help me, it's only going to get worse. We need to see ourselves for who we are. Let Jonah hold a mirror to our souls and then come to the one who has helped us already and who can help us even now. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, you know our hearts. You know how inconsistent we can be. You know just how much like Jonah we can be. And yet, Lord, we are your found people. In Christ, our sin is paid for. Because of him, we who were once lost have been found. And yet, Lord, we pray, be at work in our hearts, Lord. Transform them. Help us, Lord, to share your concern for the lost. Help us, Lord, to pay the price, to make the sacrifice, to set aside 
the temporary comforts of today for the sake of the eternal salvation of others. In other words, Lord, make us like Jesus. Make us like the one who saved us. Amen. You might like to take a moment or two to just sit quietly and to think over what God's word has been teaching you tonight. And then in a few moments' time, we'll sing.